Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. It's great to be with you. Joining me in just a moment will be Melanie Hempy, the founder of ScreenStrong.com. If you want to take your kid back from the digital world, she's a person to talk to. We're going to talk about navigating the new school year, navigating cell phones, social media, entertainment, technology. We'll discuss balancing screens in school and for entertainment. Average data shows that a kid spends an average of nine hours a day on technology, and that is a teenager. And tweens are spending an average of six hours a day. What are they missing out on? What do they need more of? How is this connected to anxiety and depression today? And how can we maybe make some changes in our lives as adults and in working with children? We'll also talk about whether or not it's possible to not have a cell phone and social media in high school, as well as if it's safe, for example, to not have a cell phone. I think it's an interesting conversation and would love to hear your thoughts. Numbers 1-888-914-9149. What I really want to get your input on is I'm going to discuss later a little bit about how I'm teaching my baby girl, toddler, and now she's 21 months this month, um, how about the Catholic faith? You know, there have been some things that I've noticed that have taken really well uh, with her that we've done since when she was a newborn. And I'm really excited to share them because I think that passing on the faith to children, sometimes we don't know what to do. You know, we go through the motions, we go to mass, maybe, you know, you do night prayer, morning prayer, but what else can we do to foster that very, very natural very natural uh, tendency toward faith that children have because they do. Uh, the research, the studies, the the history and breadth of the church and the saints commentary on this isn't very clear that there's a natural affinity to faith and to God and that it's really us adults and the world that either stymie or fail to foster that faith that we can really kindle in children at a young age. So there's some fun things that I've been doing with my kid that have taken really well. And I want to hear what you've done. You know, you who've maybe you're in the midst of raising babies and toddlers, or you've been there and done that, and you have some things that really w- worked well with passing on the faith, especially in that age range with babies and toddlers. Let me know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. one 914 9149 Or you can also share them on social media. We love those comments and thoughts there as well. We'll also discuss family dinners. Are they key to children's health? Are they? Well, it's interesting. The Wall Street Journal is actually talking about family dinners and how it's something we've lost and maybe we should do a little bit more of for mental health in particular for children. So I want to talk about balancing screens in school and then also for entertainment because 
The reality is, is that screens are ever present in our lives. They're a major part of education today. And whether you choose them to be a part of education or not, uh, they're good things. You know, we need to learn how to do things such as be able to write papers, right? Do some research. Uh, We should be able to do book research as well, uh, but do online research. We should be able to, you know, learn how to do a PowerPoint presentation. Things that are really important. But sometimes in the name of keyboard and digital etiquette and PowerPoint and writing, we use that as an excuse for going fully online when we have full-time entertainment at home through via media and technology as well. So to discuss balancing screens in school and for entertainment after school is the founder of ScreenStrong.com, Melanie Hempy. Melanie, welcome back to Trending. Yes, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here this evening. So I know average studies are showing today that a teenager spends an average of nine hours uh, per day with media use. And we also know that tweens are spending about an average of six hours. This doesn't exactly include in school time. This is more so those bumper times around the day. I think it's a little eye-opening if you realize those aren't school school time frames. Can you share with us a little bit about your thoughts on balancing screens after school and even while in this classroom? Yeah, it's really shocking when you read these statistics about the nine hours and they don't even include screen time in school. Like that is so hard to get your head around. But one of the first things I want to start off with when we talk about this topic of screens in school is that sometimes we forget that we are dealing with very immature brains. And I don't mean immature in the sense that your kid's just being silly. What I mean is they really don't have the, the roadway, so to speak, the highways, the connections in their brain that they need to discern how not to get tempted by distractions. And we're not just talking about distractions, about negative content. We're talking just about any distraction. And screens are very distracting, right? So, you know, Timory, even when you're just trying to answer email or you're trying to go look up something, you know, things are popping up, you're seeing tabs opened, you're seeing all the bright colors. It's just very, very difficult the younger you are to, uh, you know, stay away from those attractions and be disciplined around that. And one of the first things that I just want to share a little story, um, when my oldest son, as many, many of, of your audience and many people know, that my oldest son was uh, very, very obsessed and addicted to video games. And I say that word very carefully, but it's very real. He, he, I'm not just saying this as a mom who's talking about, oh, my kid's addicted to whatever. He was addicted. It, he met all the criteria for the addiction. He, it was affecting other areas of his life. And the thing that was so hard for me to understand, and when I first started getting into this issue, was he did not know even how to check his outlook, okay? So the tool that the screen was being used for in school, uh, you know, email from class members or teachers or about homework, he didn't even know. He didn't even care about his email. Um, That was pretty normal for his brain development. Kids who are using screens in school do well if the screens are being used in conjunction with live 
adult teacher, you know, um, teaching, teaching that. So they don't do well when they're on their own. And when they are teenagers, their brain is craving, you know, low effort, high reward activity. And so you don't get too much high reward activity on an Excel spreadsheet or checking your email or writing an essay or looking up research. Eh, Not so much, right? That's not very exciting. So we have all these things that are wonderful about technology and it's screen strong. We are very much in favor of technology. Don't get me wrong. We are not an anti-screen organization. However, there are certain types of screen uses that are very detrimental for kids. And there's certain type of screen uses like this um, educational screens that we all want them to be using that they're not going to be bent toward. Right. Absolutely. And I want to come back talking a little bit more about that and unpacking the differentiation between good screen usage skills such as learning how to check email and respond to emails, PowerPoints, all of those important things that are skills that should be learned to prepare them for the real world outside of school. But balancing those screens for school, balancing them for entertainment, making sure that we're not overusing them, the impact of anxiety and depression within the screen conversation. And we'll answer that question, does it work? And is it safe for a teenager to not have a cell phone and social media in high school? We'll be right back here on Trending with Melanie Hempe, that's the founder of ScreenStrong.com. Go check them out, ScreenStrong.com. So what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Does it work and is it safe for a teen to not have a cell phone and social media today? Will they be a social outcast? Will they be safe when they're not with their parents? Will they be able to navigate where they need to go? Talk about that here in Trending on just a moment with Melanie Hempe, the founder of ScreenStrong.com. But I want to talk about this balance of screens in school and for entertainment. Melody, we're talking about the psychological impact and the difference between good practical things that need to be learned um, for you know going into careers and work, but also how kids are spending over nine hours on average in high school on screens for entertainment and six hours via uh, for middle schoolers on entertainment outside of school as well. So what do we do here? What's the impact psychologically and what's the difference between the two types of screen use? Well, of course, screens are really good tools, and I think that um, they are also really good toys, <laughs> right? So kids are going to use them more as a toy. Adults are going to use them more as a tool. As adults, we want to look at our student and say, here's a wonderful tool. Use this like I use it. The problem is kids don't use screens the way adults use screens. We see tremendous mm-hmm. potential on a screen, but kids don't. Kids see it as a toy. No matter what you put in front of them, and this is really true, if you go into any high school and just walk the halls, you're going to see girls shopping on Amazon for shoes and, you know, in the middle of math class, (laughs) you're going to see boys (laughs) playing video games in the middle of history because this is what kids do on their laptops. And so it's very unfortunate that we believe that they're going to learn a lot on their screen. Now, we know the best way for kids to use educational technology is to use it with an adult present. 
And that doesn't mean a teacher in the front of the class, because if the teacher's in the front of the class, <laughs> she cannot see what's going on on all the screens. She has to stand in the back of the class <laughs> so she can see the back of their heads and the front of their screens. Again, it's just very, very, very difficult. It's not that it can't be done. It can be. But after a few minutes, they're going to get distracted. So for the first thing we have to do as parents is understand that kids do not use their screens the way that we use screens. Wouldn't it be wonderful if they did? But, you know, to be honest, honest Timory, I mean, we get distracted too, right? So I was about to say, I don't always use my screen very well either. So I don't know that even <laughs> our example, I mean, re- let's be really honest. We spend way more time than we need to checking email, checking social media, texting. Yes. We could do yes. a quarter of the texting probably maybe an eighth of the email checking and ditch all the social media entirely most of the time because it's not appropriate when we're using it. That's right. But when you're thinking about a brain that is trying to learn and teenagers are in the best stage for learning, they learn better and quicker than they will any other time of their life. And we're putting a tool in front of them that is, while it's good for learning, it's also very distracting. It's very hard to learn. So, and then we think about homework when they come home. Many parents tell me their kids spend hours and hours and hours on their homework. And the the tip and the key is if you sit with them at the kitchen table while they do their homework, their homework is only going to take 30 minutes because when they're (laughs) in charge of their homework, it will take them four hours because they're getting very, very distracted. The other point I want to make is if your child is at a school where they do have screens, which that is most schools these days really don't have any management over the screens. And I, I don't mean that to sound ugly. It's just the truth. We cannot manage a classroom of 30 kids with 30 screens. It's just impossible. So if your child has to have a Chromebook, if they have to do this during the day, then your, your only choice really when they come home is that they don't have additional screen time. And I mean, I hate to say it, but that is just the fact. They've already had an overload of screen time. They are getting this acquired ADHD, which is the the symptoms of ADHD when they don't really have ADHD because they're just on it too long. They're not getting enough movement. They're not getting enough touch. They're not getting enough attachment from their families. They're not getting enough diversity in their activities. So when they come home, our rule of thumb and with our organization, we say, you know what? One of the reasons why you want to get rid of video games is because it is a complete waste of time. They are already spending their hours, you know, are used up at school, if you know what I mean. And then they come home and they spend hours and hours and hours on social media and hours and hours and hours on video games. Bad idea. Very bad idea for the brain development. That's why that number gets so high. And that's why a typical kid will spend, you know, 10,000 hours on their screen before they go to college. Now, it does not take 10,000 hours to learn how to use Excel, right? So that's the other thing that parents need to quit exaggerating, and me included, with my oldest son, we need to quit exaggerating the amount of time that it takes for our kids to learn these skills and not be so panicked about it. How long do you think it takes a teenager to use a smartphone? To learn to use a smartphone, it takes like three minutes. It doesn't take... 10,000 hours. So <laughs> oh, that is true. That's, that's just part of the problem. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and for teachers, let me tell you this. When you, if you're a teacher listening, I, my hat goes off to you. It is very difficult to do what you're trying to do to keep their attention, to keep your class in focus on what's happening on a screen is very, very difficult. But if you're a parent, I highly recommend in a very nice way that you go talk to your child's teacher and say, you know what, 
we're really struggling with this. Can we partner with you to help us reduce just the total amount of screen time? When do they really need their screen? When can they shut the lid on their laptop or leave it in their locker, put it out of the classroom? Can we be more intentional around when we're actually using a screen in the classroom? Because you know what, Henry, I think we've all gotten kind of lazy about it and they're right. using it too right. much. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great way to put it without coming and criticizing the teacher. How can we partner to reduce screen time? And I know, you know, with the younger grades, it's a little easier to go in and say, okay, we're going to do no screens with our kids, let's say, um, through parochial school, right? And, you know, that's a little easier to say, okay, we're not doing screens. You navigate what kind of screen what kind of school you're at as well, can usually have that outcome. But when you get into those high school years, those screen skills are necessary from the email, the PowerPoint, yeah. the, um, it's, these are things that, you know, are skills that are helpful. They don't, don't need to be done for every project, right? But they are things that right. they need don't need to be, to be done in the excess that they're doing. Right. So it doesn't take them that long. And so I really, I recommend that there is maybe a no tech Friday, every week where the teachers come into every classroom and say, you know what, we're not using our laptops on Friday. We're going to get old school. We're going to try to figure out how to know each other again. We're going to be personal. We're going to meet in a little small group. We're going to do whatever it is to get back some human element to it. Screens do not need to be used 24 hours a day. They do not need to be used seven hours a day in school. Yeah. 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 I think that's a challenge. They do not need to be on their desk. Yeah. And I think that's a challenge is a lot of the time we're seeing, and this is in college too. It's a good challenge. If you're in college, you know, take some handwritten notes. Don't necessarily have your screen flipped open the whole time because it's a distracted learning and we're just not grasping as much. So you've got a lot of tips. I just want to kind of summarize some of them. Um, You mentioned to really help with this balance of balancing screens in school and for entertainment. Um, You said, having adult present when your teenager or younger, especially younger, is using technology. Um, No tech, you said, once home is a recommendation. Homework done, especially if it requires tech at the kitchen table in front of a parent. That's a challenge because that means that parents, you know, there's a parent home for that as well. And this comes from a Christian worldview that we really do support um, having a parent, particularly the mother, you know, home and present to be able Mm -hmm. to be there. Uh, during that time. And I know that's challenging. We talk a lot about it here on Trending, you know, those needs of the children and balancing and understanding that. Um, But you also mentioned partnering with teachers to talk about not having those screens open all day, about not having all projects uh, executed on the screen. Because again, there's a difference between utilizing it as a tool and developing a skill versus using it all day within the classroom, which is what is becoming quite the default in many classrooms today. Melanie, um, here's one of my questions, and you did touch on it. When we're talking about balancing screens in school and for entertainment, I keep coming back to those astounding numbers. And this is prior to COVID. We know that time has only increased. Mm-hmm. A study showing that average teenager spends nine hours a day between being before and after school, not during school hours, with digital entertainment and tweens spending six hours a day. You know, sometimes I think when we start to justify using them, we also forget to ask the question, what are teenagers and younger missing out on? You mentioned things such as face-to-face social interaction. You mentioned, you know, even just physical touch. Uh, eye contact is something mm-hmm. big. Just hearing and being more perceptive with your senses. Uh, music, you know, the talent mm-hmm. of music, reading, uh, and also boredom. These are such important Mm -hmm. things that are a part of our just natural human development and flourishment and the ability to process ideas and process emotions. 
And I think that's a big part of the picture that we're leaving out, that it's not just what we don't do or don't get to do with technology, it's what we're missing when we only allow technology to rule our downtime. And ultimately, they're losing their purpose because it's very purposeless when you spend your whole afternoon on a video game and you feel no purpose after two hours of scrolling on social media. It's depressing. Over time, it gets very depressing because kids feel bad. They, they're not getting anything done. They're not accomplishing anything. And as humans, we all need to have a purpose to our day. We do not need to waste time. One other tip, if you have a few other parents that are agreeing with you on this, and you are maybe a working, uh, two working, you know, spouses, you can partner with some other parents to say during the week, hey, why don't the kids come over on Mondays? I'll get off early and after school, I'm going to be there to help guide and help do different things, even their homework with them. And then you trade on Tuesday, you go to the other house. On Wednesday, you go to another house. Kind of team this with, with your village, with your screen strong village. And be sure that your children have other friends that follow your values in this area. This is a very, very important area. This is not something that we should just sweep under the rug. It's very serious what is happening to today's kids with too much screen exposure. And so it is very hard because Timbery is kind of like food. We have to have food. We have to have screens. We get it. But we know that certain food is not good and certainly certain screens are not good. Um, And let's just touch base super quick. I just want to say that your teenagers do not need smartphones in high school. All the way through those 48 months of high school, they do not need smartphones. They will be able to get everything they need on their laptop. They can get on the group. Let's talk about that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that dilemma because I think, Right. I think that's another topic that's important. If you're just joining us, it's Melanie Hempy from ScreenStrong.com. Again, check them out, ScreenStrong.com, taking back your kid from the digital world. And let's be honest ourselves. These don't just, these tips don't just apply to teenagers down. Uh, they apply right. to all of us. The dilemma today, Melanie, is this idea that people think you have to have a phone, especially if your kid's not with you for any extracurricular activities, whatever it might be, sports, right. dancing, music, you name it. Um, but that you argue that that's not the reason to have a smartphone. Now, I was talking to someone the other day and they have stood strong. Their teenager, I think is about 15, 16 years old, still doesn't have a cell phone. And they were saying it's actually been great. You know, we were a little nervous about uh, him being detached and not having that means of communication. But as we were talking about it, the parents and I were talking about how they've learned skills such as asking someone to use their phone, um, asking, you know, using these very adult and mature skills that they otherwise wouldn't have. And they've actually become stronger communicators without the phone. So talk to me about the safety of not having a phone first, because I think that's the number one fear for most parents. Yeah, and we should never parent out of fear. And we should never parent out of convenience either. Is it convenient? Sure it is. But it's not wise. It's not the best thing for a kid. So the best thing would be for them to learn the social skills that you're talking about and the problem-solving skills that you're talking about. And also to look into some of the top text phones that are out there that do not have social media and do not have internet access. So our kids did not have any kind of phone until they were well into being 15, I think, and they got a top text phone, which, and they still don't have a smartphone. I will never buy a smartphone for any of my kids. I don't care how old they are. That's just something I'm not going to do. Um, but they have a top text phone. But even before then, because um, they don't even get group text. 
So, but even before then, you know, they have GroupMe. So they have GroupMe on their laptop. A lot of parents don't understand that many of these communication apps are on their laptop. So if they have to find out about when a practice is canceled, they can be responsible. They can go to their laptop and figure it out. The biggest problem is when you have this small handheld computer in your pocket. The smaller the screen, the worse it is for your kids. For us, it's convenience. For them, it's a distraction. It's a temptation. And it pulls them out of the social world that they desperately need to get good at. If they don't get good at being social now, it's going to be very hard later. They are not being social when they're on social media. It's so ironic, isn't it? You think social media is social. Well, no, it's not eye to eye. It's not face to face. Kids on social media are very, very lonely. Kids who are screen strong, who don't have smartphones, are not lonely. They actually learn how to get together in person. Um, My boys are seniors now. They're twins. They are seniors, and they both, one of them is a senior class president. The other is a student body president. And I just say that because they got elected to these positions because they know the people in their school. Timory, they know them really well. They did not have social media. They did not have a smartphone. They are in two, three different sports. They're constantly out every night. And before they even had a cell phone, before they even had a talk text phone, every time your, ch- your child is, is somewhere if, with an event, there's an adult there or there's another person with a phone. So there's a coach, there's a teacher, there's somebody. If there's an emergency, if there's something that happens, then they have the coach there. Hey, coach, can I use your phone? I got to call my mom. And that builds a, a lot of trust with the coach, it builds a lot of that relationship. And the most important thing is it teaches them how to problem solve. Because when they can just text mom every minute for every little problem, I lost my shoes, I can't find my shirt, where's my jersey, can you bring it? You know, this constant contact with mom is not good. It's like an umbilical cord. They don't need that. Is it convenient? Sure. Does mom love it? Sure. She loves to know where her kids are. You know, they're tracking them. You know, parents are tracking their kids everywhere. That's weird. Sorry. It's very weird. I mean, think about growing up as a teenager and having your mom put a GPS tracker on your back. It, it doesn't give you a lot of confidence that you know how to handle life. So all these fears that we have really are not really very legitimate. They're They're not, you know really fears. And we have to be careful that we are not putting our biases of just wanting to have that kind of helicopter experience with our kids. Uh, You know, kids who have smartphones are much more helicoptered than kids who don't have smartphones because their parents are constantly in touch with them. It's mind blowing when you really think about it that way. We need to learn to say, skip it. Let's detour around it. We have a course at Screen Strong that will help you take your kid off of the device if you need to do that. It will also give you all the tools and all the science about why this is uh, something that's really working. There's this whole movement starting with kids that are now growing up without smartphones because we're seeing what's happening to them. So we still use screens as tools, and we're happy to get on there and look up a history lesson or do whatever, but we're going to balance it, and we are not going to stay on the screen all, you know, for four hours trying to do homework because we know they're not really spending all that time. And we don't need to give our teenagers smartphones. Bad idea. All the science is coming back and all the research and statistics. They're coming back and they're saying, you know what, this is a really bad idea, (laughs) what we did. So let's fix it. And that's what we're here for. We're here to fix it. We have a new forum opening, Timory, and we've got a a psychiatrist coming in to our website. They'll be opening in a couple weeks, and she'll be doing live webinars for parents. If they want to come in and ask questions, 
to a real medical doctor about this to help them get over some of their hurdles and get some of their questions asked. So we're very excited about that. That's coming. And I love it because we've had a lot of conversations here in Trending about with yourself, with social psychologists, neuropsychologists, um, neuroscientists, and it's really interesting to hear the studies are pretty conclusive. For adults, two hours of screen time a day, There's there are a lot of implications when you get beyond two hours a day for adults, but a lot of the studies are showing with teenagers and teenagers. And, and children, uh, 30 minutes a day, that idea of you and saying, okay, well, you can have 30 minutes a day is actually too much for them. And so a lot of the data is coming back saying very little time for adults, two hours or less, which is hard because many work in front of computers. You know, you have your phone. It's easy to spend two hours a day on your phone responding to emails and texts and simple navigations on your phone. And so I think these are challenges for us to reevaluate. Where are we? Um, how does this fit into maybe, maybe some of the social challenges that we're seeing within our own community, our own home, within ourselves, and start making some modifications. You have incredible tips, Melanie. That's why I love your website, ScreenStrong.com. You have a network for parents, you know, trying to figure out the details of this. I know you share stories all the time about parents who are really taking their kids back from anxiety, depression, cutting all of these mental disorders. And it's by making some big changes with cell phone and social media use. Can you speak for just a moment? I know that you don't do cell phones with your kids unless it's a talk text um, phone such as the Gab phone. We'll post a link on social media for those who are maybe looking for a resource because they're hard to find. But talk a little bit about social media. Um, What are your thoughts on and how have you navigated social media within your home with your children? So we don't, uh, you know, do social media here with the kids. Um, there was a time when we had a family social media account, I think on Instagram, the Hempy family, whatever. But we never really even paid a whole lot of attention to that either. What we're finding is that they are able to have lots of social interactions at our house. So we have kids over here all the time. And, you know, there's this thing called an anchoring bias. And this would be good to talk about maybe at another show. But an anchoring bias says that the first time you see or hear something, it sticks. And so I really don't want my kids to learn things the wrong way on social media. I want them to learn how to be social the right way. Because I know that the first time they do something, it's going to stick. So I really don't want them to get influenced by all the millions of influencers out there in social media. There will be a day very soon when they grow up and become adults and they'll be able to handle it because they will have already been developing their identity. They will know who they are. They will have close friends, which is the best gift you can give your child is the opportunity to build in-person friendships. I tell my boys all the time that if they can even just have one best friend when they're growing up, they are more blessed than most of the people in the world. It's very hard to develop a best friend and it's not easy to do online or using social media. There's too much out there. There's too much chasing our kids on social media. Pornography is chasing them. Just all the, like you said, the cutting, all of the anxiety and depression, anorexia, all these things are just chasing them on social media. Why would we expose them to all that? There will be a day and a time when they will learn how to use it just fine. They won't even have to learn how to use it because they'll be adults. You and I didn't have to learn how to use social media. We understood what was right and wrong when we were adults, when we started getting on social media. There's, there's really no way you can teach your kids how to use 
social media. So that's why we say to postpone it. Excellent. These are very helpful tips. Now, here's a question I think that many parents probably ask, and I ask it legitimately because I was homeschooled all the way through, except for some brief moments of not being homeschooled. And I've seen both sides of the spectrum. You know, people give a lot of criticism to people who are homeschooled or families who choose to homeschool to parents. And there is at times where you see uh, an oversheltering that can occur and then a rebellion that can occur afterward when the child then first leaves the home. And I think that for some parents, they also have that concern. Okay, if I bubble wrap my child, if I don't, if I, you know, don't do screens, don't do social media, are they going to absolutely lose all self-control and just all the work I did goes out the window uh, with this rebellion or this overwhelming use of these technologies and social media accounts. How have you seen this play out for parents who have worked through, and I know you've done it as well, who've worked through, you know, no social media, maybe a talk text only phone like the Gab phone. And then how did that transition into university and adult life go when they were under, you know, those rules and supervision of their parents? Right. Well, it's a mess. It's a huge mess. And the myth says that there's the forbidden fruit, that if you don't let them have it now, they're going to binge and go crazy later. That is a scientific like myth. We can prove from research and studies and Leonard Sachs has done a lot of work in this area of showing that kids who are raised with virtue have a much higher chance of being virtuous kids when they grow up. Now, is it hundred percent? Of course not. But the thing that is the other big myth about what you're talking about is you're assuming and the culture might be assuming that your kids are going to be miserable if they don't have a smartphone or they don't have social media or mom said no to video games. And this is where the myth comes in. Our kids are so happy. They really are. They have a great time with their life. Our oldest son was not. He was very, very immersed in his video game. He was miserable. So the difference is, it's, it's, it's kind of shocking. You come into our Facebook group and you look at the Screen Strong Families Facebook group and you see all the testimonies and parents come in there. They're like, you know what? This works. Like, we like our kids again. <laughs> We're having so much fun as a family. Oh, my goodness. We have testimony after testimony. So the Screen Strong Life is not about taking anything away. It, it, it's about adding things to your kid's life. It's not about taking things away and banning things and saying no. That's not at all what it's about. It's about, guys, I want to spend time with you this weekend. What can we do? Let's go to the Whitewater Center. Let's do this. How about let's have a party? Let's invite all your friends over and we'll have 10 friends over or we'll have for homecoming. We had 50 teenagers in our house. Timory, it was amazing. <laughs> so we have so much fun. We have so much fun. I cannot imagine my life again being ruled by the screens. I just can't imagine it. And they can't really either. And they had a very good podcast they did. It's number 91 on our podcast channel on the Screen Strong Families podcast. Number 91. It's both of the boys talking about what it's like growing up without social media. And they, they answer that question that you just asked really well from a teenage perspective. So it's a, it's a myth. It's not true. You spend more time with your kids. You have more fun. They have more hobbies. They learn music. They learn art. They have 
so many more interests. They're all, you know, we go, my husband tomorrow is putting them all in the car and driving to Atlanta to go to the Phillies game. <laughs> you know, we have so much fun. It's so different than when you have kids that are so dependent on their screens. And those kids are much more helicoptered. So the bubble wrapping happens with screen kids. The bubble wrapping doesn't happen when your kid is offline, out in the real world, having to problem solve, having to figure things out. It, it's very, very different. Does that make sense? It's like such a, such a yeah. reverse of yeah. what we really think it right. is. And it's interesting because you kind of just gave a really great example in that last moment here of, you know, people will criticize and sometimes justifiably. So, you know, the homeschooling mentality where you're not exposed to the world, you know, there, there needs to be always, you know, that incremental exposure in the right way and the right yeah. timing, yeah. according to the individual child. And, but the difference with social media and technology use is that it's it's the same type of isolation that can be caused and can be problematic with homeschooling. Part of the yes. problem at times yes. can be the isolation. Yes. And I love home, yes. homeschooling, but the isolation and the lack of social skills and the lack of sometimes, you know, engaging in various activities can be what is challenging that and leading to that rebellion that can occur. And so much of what we're talking about is the problem is the lack of socialization, social skills, that is what is allowed to take place if you don't have the screens, if you don't have the social media, the way in which is the norm today. Melanie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for all you're doing at ScreenStrong.com. You have so many resources for parents. It's one of my favorite resources out there, ScreenStrong.com, the Gab phone we talked about, we're posting links on social media. Just follow me at Timmerie, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. We also tag Melanie Hempy and her work as well. So I'll be right back here on Trending. We're going to talk about some of those things you might replace in your home, such as family meals and some of what uh, neuropsychologists, researchers sh are showing about the importance of family meals. And we'll also talk, I want to hear your thoughts. What have you done to teach your baby or your toddler about the faith? I'm going to share with you some fun things I've been doing that have really taken off well. And I want to hear from you. Numbers 1-888-914-9149. More info at relevantradio.com slash Colby. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. back to trending it's great to be with you as we were talking about navigating the real challenges that all parents have today of navigating screens technology social media use cell phone it's not fun it's not easy you can't do it perfectly but there are a lot of guidelines and that's why i love talking to melanie humpy from screenstrong.com phenomenal phenomenal resource and it takes some changes on our part especially as people of faith bringing our children to the faith and as beacons of faith in the culture. Now, one of the questions that often comes up is, what do I replace in that time? You know, what do I do? You know, I think that I get this, especially as a parent of a toddler. We've decided, you know, not to put movies or shows on at all for our kid until she's two. And even then, it won't be something that's a daily occurrence. It's more so will be an event, an occasion that happens. And 
Uh, we don't have, you know, frequent use of screens or games or anything on technology for her. And I see that challenge. I see their emotions. Man, it would be so easy to just turn on a movie and have you zone out looking at the TV or whatever it might be. It's more work for me to work on entertaining her or also to work with her on figuring out how to be bored and be okay with that and just stare out the window for a little while. Uh, these are things, especially I've seen recently, uh, we were... We were sitting inside and we had the fireplace roaring and it's really cold here in the Midwest right now. And she just sat down in front of the fireplace for like half an hour to an hour one day this week, looking at the fire, looking outside. She'd say, oh, squirrel. And she noticed a squirrel that would run by. And then she'd say, oh, are there, you know, she's asking if there are deer. She's going, deer, deer, you know, inquiring if we see a deer out the window. And it's something that I realized had I been lazy and needed to do something and just wanted her to really kind of just be zoned out and use, you know, the tablet or the TV or whatever it might be, it could be easier. But what's better for her? And a lot of the studies show that things such as boredom are so important for kids that this is where we get a lot of our neurodevelopment occurring, especially in those younger years. But another thing that's very helpful is the return of family activities, one of which being the simplest, easiest, most natural one that should be occurring in our home. And if it isn't, we need to take a step back and reevaluate how we can make this happen again. And that is family dinner. So I was reading an article that came out from the Wall Street Journal of all places, but it's not just the Wall Street Journal. We're hearing with resounding reverberations on all platforms from faith-based to non-faith-based perspectives that the return to family daily meals is vital for the emotional, psychological, and physical well-being of children. It's fascinating. Studies show that there's a decrease in obesity, that there are better health outcomes when families eat together. Also, when families don't eat on the go, there are a lot of negative effects of having eaten on the go so often and for so long. I was even reading a story on the Wall Street Journal about how many kids are eating meals out four or five nights a week, or if it's not a meal out, it's a meal in the car, quickly between on a break of a practice. And I did this too. I remember when I was dancing, you know, I was dancing, I was dancing at a very, um, a very high level and you know, quickly trying to get some food in me between classes where there's no break. And, you know, I also saw, you know, the challenges of, you know, my mom having to eat on the go. And I was reading these stories and I saw, you know, there's, there's a real challenge today of wanting your kid to do the best activities, be the best at what they're doing, learn excellent skills such as discipline or teamwork. Those things can and must be learned. But I think that the challenge today is, you know, how much should we commit to? And it's fascinating because I've actually, I'd be interested to, to talk to them more about this um, now, but I remember talking to my parents about it and I know that my mom has said she would have done less of the extracurricular activities uh, in hindsight, you know, not completely eliminating them, but, you know, doing less, having a little bit more of a balance. Uh, and I think that, a lot of parents, you know, see this in hindsight that they push, they push, and some parents even thinking, you know, my child's going to be the superstar in this area. It could be baseball, it could be football, you know, whatever it might be. The reality is, is the greatest goal should be good life skills, fostering, yes, talent that 
could set them up for a future, but not obsessively chasing that stardom that is almost a big part of these things that get in the way of things such as family dinners. So there are greater health benefits to diet and physicality, obesity, nutrition, to having sit-down dinners. Uh, Teenagers and family members who sit down together to have dinners, the research is astounding. Uh, The studies are pivotal, showing that there are lower rates of drug and alcohol use compared to those who share fewer meals together. A lot of what we're seeing in the research is that fewer symptoms for these kids and teenagers of anxiety, depression, and attempted suicide as well. So you don't want your kid to be depressed. You don't want your kid to have anxiety. You don't want your kid to attempt suicide. Take the time, prioritize to eat family meals together. Have dinners together. Have breakfast together. I've shared before when my husband and I first got married, you know, we didn't have children yet or anything, but we knew that having meals together were important. And I worked in the evenings and I wasn't able to, you know, be home for meals or cook a meal. So what did we do? Well, we started having family breakfast and having a nice sit down breakfast together, waking up a little earlier, making sure our day didn't start too soon so that that could happen. So I think there are also those balances that can occur. You know, you still have maybe some of the extracurricular activities that don't allow for the perfect every single night dinner, but that can allow for, well, let's try to get one solid meal in together every day. Let's make sure we're getting at least five or six meals in together a week. You know, I think that, you know, that even idea lost, you know, having a big family breakfast on a Saturday or a Sunday, and then still having a big family dinner together. You know, rack up those hours, build up that quality time. I think sometimes people get confused between quality and quantity, and you need both. You need quality, but you have to do that by spending a lot of time together. And I think sometimes today we focus too much on the quality rather than consistent quantity time. And that's a lot of what the researchers are pointing to today when it comes to children and the presence of the parents in that time together. Quality is great, but it can't it can't replace quantity. And so these challenges of things such as family meals together are good challenges that we should be taking up and encouraged uh, to really engage in to decrease that sadness and hopelessness that we're seeing today is so prevalent a young among children in this mental health crisis. And way to buck the trend as families today is to simply start engaging in those daily family dinners yet again. So I really want to encourage that um, today. And we'll talk about these, I think, family dinner ideas more on days to come. But one thing I think that's really helpful is even, you know, learning how to cook. You know, maybe you have a particular kid uh, getting involved in learning how to cook. I'm amazed by how many young people in my generation don't know how to cook today or who have never cooked. I remember a few years ago, a priest was giving a homily and or a talk, maybe it was a talk, and he asked some of the kids if they had cooked, and there was a group of about 30 kids in front of him, and not a single one of the kids had ever cooked before. He said, you don't cook? You've never cooked? You never helped a parent out in the kitchen? And he was astounded, and I thought it was fascinating because I think it spoke to the fact that uh, fewer families are sitting down together to eat, but also the fact that kids just aren't learning to cook, and they aren't sharing in that experience with their parents. I remember 
as a child, I always you know, spent time cooking with my mom and learning how to cook. And there are recipes to this day I know how to make without asking how to make them because I was there, you know, helping to make them side by side with her or being instructed to do it if, you know, that was the help that needed to be done that day. And so this return to the family meal is helping with socialization, emotional stability, uh, strength in the family bond, especially between parent and child, uh, health benefits, and skills such as cooking and responsibility that take place within the home. Okay, a topic I really want to unpack further, and I would love to get your thoughts on it as we're discussing more. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio if you're just joining us. And the topic is I have been receiving a lot of questions about, okay, how are you teaching your faith to your little girl? So my daughter's 21 months old, and it's been really, really neat to see how she's beginning to grasp the faith and how little things that we've tried to do from day one, you know, or the early days, the first couple months after she was born, have really been bearing fruit. And I would love to hear ideas from you. So I'd like you to email me, write me on social media. You can follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, or email me at relevantradio.com forward slash trending, because we're going to talk about some of those tips that are really, really helpful. I think I know I want to hear these tips from you, what has worked, uh, maybe what hasn't worked, but really those nuggets that have helped. So first, thinking about the fact that a child is predisposed to grasp the faith. Um, We as adults tend to be the ones that stifle faith. Uh, Children have this natural sense of God or pick up God very easily when taught or spoken to about him in simple ideas of the faith. And again, it's the adults and I think the world that either stymie or fail to foster or enkindle that faith. And I think that, you know, I've learned this. It's really fascinating to see with my daughter. She's 21 months old now. You know, she's starting to have these mini conversations, sharing ideas. It's really neat to see. But some of the things we did early on um, was one of them was when she was just really a few weeks old and and on, we would pray before we put her down to bed at night for kind of that final lay down of the night. And we would stand in front of our family crucifix and say a really simple prayer. And we, you know, take the time to hold her up where she could look at Jesus and say, you know, I love you, Jesus. Good night, Jesus. Thank you for this day. You know, something really brief and really short. And then as she got a little older, when she was old enough to understand to kiss the crucifix, you know, we'd provide her the opportunity, you know, would you like to kiss the crucifix? You're not forcing her to, but saying, would you like to give Jesus a kiss? And we set the example by giving, you know, a kiss to Jesus' feet, to the crucifix, or maybe even to just various religious items and articles on our person, such as scapular with a crucifix or, you know, a bracelet of Mother Mary. You know, we do the same thing with Our Lady. And it was so neat to see a couple things unfold. When she first, my daughter first started using words, one of her earliest words, and I would say that those first five to ten words, where she said Jesus. It was 
the coolest thing. And I remember, what on earth? And she, you know, this really sweet and simple Jesus, you know, really simple, not perfectly said, but she was making those words out. And after she knew how to say mama, we always taught her about Mama Mary and we had little things such as rattles or we have some pretty big icons of Our Lady in our home and we point and say mama. And as she was old enough to, you know, seek things out and find them, I'd ask her, where's Jesus? And she'd be able to look in a given room and point to the crucifix or where's Mama Mary? And she would be able to do the same. It was these really simple concepts that I'm amazed to see she grasped so easily in such a short and simple time frame that are ways to start bringing that faith and catechesis to our children. So I want to hear your ideas and tips for how you've passed the faith on to babies and toddlers. And we'll talk about this more in the days to come. Thanks for being with me tonight on Trending. Up next is a family rosary across America. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Have you joined us for a weekly gentleman's hour? Well, Wednesday, we're going to talk about the struggle of marriage. Hearing a lot about people having marriages that are falling apart, the fighting that's happening. So husbands, listen up. We'll be joined by Hugh Brown to discuss fighting for your marriage when things get difficult. Also take your questions, gentlemen, from a Catholic perspective. So join me Wednesday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.